today's gonna be a really important Sunday because I believe that God actually wants to do some transformative work. I believe that he actually wants to transform marriages today so that they get a better, healthier view of what sex actually is. I believe he wants to help marriages fight for the kind of health that he intended marriages to thrive in. I believe today that God actually wants to transform singles to get a better, healthier view of what sexuality looks like and what it means to be warriors, to fight for the kind of life that God has intended us to live. I believe that we need to understand what our culture is selling us, what's happening in the broader culture today as far as the sex industry, because like it or not, man, we're neck deep in this right now. Some of us are more neck deep than others. Some of us are maybe blissfully unaware of what is actually going on out there. And what I wanna do is I wanna bring awareness to what's actually happening in the world uh, and how we can engage it because Jesus has commanded us, he has commissioned us to engage this world with the love and the message and the movement of Jesus. And so we are called to engage this in a life-giving, healthy way. So we've got to understand it. We've got to have a better grip on what's happening out there. In short, this is gonna leave none of us unchanged. My hope is that the words of Jesus just pour over all of us today and are challenging but maybe more life-giving than you ever heard on the topic of sex in a church before. So, you guys got your seatbelts on? <laughs> Here we go! All right, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 27, I believe it is, 27. It's that beautiful little section, if you got the Bible with the red letters in it, uh, entitled, Adultery, okay? <laughs> so intimidating, it's going to be awesome. If you don't have a Bible... We have Bibles in the back, and it is our gift to you. You can grab one. You can even put your hand up. We'll have some people that would be so willing to get you a Bible, and you can go home with that as a gift to you. So here's where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I think, okay, Jesus doesn't mince words here, right? He goes straight for the target. <laughs> if we think, you know, some of the teaching uh, in religious circles is pretty hard, man, Jesus hits it like right between the eyes. But here's the thing. What Jesus is doing here is he's taking an Old Testament law that was found um, uh, in the Ten Commandments, actually, that every Israelite would have known by heart, and he's actually rescuing its original meaning. Because what had happened at the time is the religious elites had taken something that was made in the Old Testament, and they actually put it in nice little neat and tidy boxes so that it could be manageable. And this is how religion works, okay? This is how religious leaders work. They're all about behavior modification, behavior management. If you've ever been in a church before where you just felt condemned and ugly and gross because your life just doesn't measure up, you've probably been in an environment where it was behavior modification. You just need to shape up. So here's what religious people do. They, they love to create all sorts of boxes that, that say who's in and who's out, who's wrong, who's right, Who's deserving and who's undeserving? This is exactly what the religious elite, the Pharisees at the time, this is what they were doing. They took a law that God had given to help the religious people, I mean, the, the Israelite people, the people of God, know how it meant to thrive as the people of God and walk in a beautiful living relationship with God. And the religious elite said, no, 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 here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this law, we're going to put it in a little box, and we're going to make sure that we stay inside the box 
and our life is just better than everyone else. And as long as I'm better than anyone else and I can modify my behavior, what's outside of me, then God has to approve of me. The implications here was on this topic of adultery is that if you've had any history of a sexual past, you're out. If you've kissed anybody you weren't supposed to kiss, if you've been with someone you weren't supposed to be with, if you've slept around, like you're out. And the religious elite were like, look, there's a box of people who are in and there's a box of people who are out and you're out. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, not so fast. Because you think it's hard. Like this is, this is honestly what the religious elite were doing. I, I read one theologian that said um, that they love to do this. Um, they, th- this is what he says. He said, thus they gave a conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin and a conveniently broad definition of sexual purity. You see what they're doing here? They're saying that sexual sin is what you do with your body and what you do with your mouth and what you do physically on the outside of you. That, that's sexual sin. And as long as I avoid that, I'm good. I'm on the inbox. That was their narrow definition of sexual sin, but their, their broad definition of sexual purity was as long as I don't engage that, I'm good. Jesus said it's not the way you think it is. It actually goes a lot deeper than that. Jesus said, in what Jesus said, basically what he was saying is, I'm not after behavior modification. I'm after your heart. Because what you want matters. It's not just what you do or don't do. It's what you want that matters. So Jesus says, basically, like, if you lust after a woman, just wanting a woman In a lustful way, you have already crossed the line. Now, I don't know about you guys in this room, but I think I'm probably taking a pretty accurate guess. That leaves none of us on the inbox. (laughs) Jesus is saying, if you've crossed that line, we're all out. It's not that you undressed a woman or took her to bed. It's that you wanted to undress her with your eyes. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the line that gets crossed. And so Jesus' standard is so much higher than the Pharisees. He raised the bar. Why? And this is what is so important for us today. Sex is more than just physical. Sex is so much more than just physical. When God designed sex, he didn't just make it another physical appetite like hunger, you know, or or sleep that needs to be satisfied. He made it as something that's so much more beautiful and so much more holistic and something that's far deeper than that. We're going to get into this in a second where our culture pitches us something different. Now, at this point, some of us in this room are like, look, this is why I hate church. This is why I hate Christianity. They just want to take away all the fun. You know, they just want to put us in these like really unfun boxes of just like, you know, stay away from all the sex because sex is just dirty. God hates sex. He's the most anti-sex person in the world. And I just, this is why I hate Christianity. They take away all the fun. You know, the image that they get in their head of Christians is, is like this old Victorian prude, right? You know, like this, this woman who's got the dress up to the, the chin and all the way down to the ankles and always like snobbily looking down at everyone else and being like, you are gross, you know? That's what people, that's a lot of what people have seen in the church. Now, the crazy thing, and this is what you have to know, we're going to take a slight detour from this because it's so important because our culture has radically misunderstood the heart of God when it comes to sex is that God, hear me on this, God is the most pro-sex being in all the universe. 
and we have reason to celebrate, okay? God is the most pro-sex being in all the universe. Why? Because he created it. He didn't create it after the fall. It didn't happen after the fall when people rebelled against God. No, it was from the very beginning. It was the climax of creation. This is what God literally did. After he created everything else, he put man in the garden naked and said, it's not good for him to be alone. And poof, he created woman naked outside. And you can bet 100% that when Adam turned around look, in the garden and looked at the woman, he didn't say, hey, glad you're here. Pick up a shovel and get to work. He was like, whoa, whoa, yes, finally. I mean, you read it. That's what it says. It's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. He was out of his mind excited. He's like, finally now, I got flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And it said they became one flesh. And when they had sex, they not only had physical union, they had a whole life union because that's what sex was intended to be. They became one flesh. And it said, and the two knew no shame. That's how powerful sex is. Let me go on. The first command that God gave humanity was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Make lots of babies, okay? That's what God said. That was his one and his first command at the very beginning to the people in the garden. They were without clothes, they were outside, and they were having an awesome time. Now, look, if you think that's only from like before the fall and not after the fall, this is what God did. He wrote a book of the Bible all about sex. And not just as a procreation tool, but as a pleasure machine. I'm not making this up. There's a book called The Song of Solomon. If you have not read it, it's probably because you went to a church that hated sex. Uh, it is one of the most unbelievably graphic books in all of the Bible. I am not making this up. It is a journey of these two lovers who cannot wait to get close physically. Like they dream of the day where they get married and they can declothe and do all sorts of wild stuff. They, they graphically go into detail about each other's bodies and body parts. Like I'm not, I'm like it's, it, is, it is so far beyond what I can articulate to you right now that you have to go read it for yourself, okay? God is the most pro-sex being in all, of, all, all the universe, but he made it within certain bounds so that we could enjoy it. Why? Because sex is more than just physical. It's way bigger than that. And so he designed it to operate best and for us to enjoy it most in the context of marriage. Anything outside of marriage actually does you and the person you have sex with a deep disservice. Because it is supposed to be whole body donation. Not just physical, but emotional Economical, social, emotional, relational, personal. It is whole body commitment. Here's the crazy thing. A lot of us in our culture assume that married sex is boring. You ever heard that? You know, a lot of people, they assume that sex is only great if it's exciting for the first time. It's what we get in the movies and the TV shows. You know, like these two people who've never known each other and they all of a sudden just get this rage and it's just like clothes flying everywhere and like sparks are flying. And we just think, man, like how can it be exciting if you've already unwrapped the Christmas present multiple times? Surely it's going to get boring, right? Stats actually show us the exact opposite. 
And it's because sex is more than just physical. It's, it's so much deeper than that. The University of New York and the University of Chicago actually pulled together a massive research project that is said to be some of the most authoritative study to date. And what they found is that of all sexually active people, the most physically pleased and emotionally satisfied were married couples. What? Yes. That's what they found. Uh, Lindsay Waite and Ma uh, Maggie Gallagher in their book, The Case for Marriage, this is what they found. They said, you can throw some of these stats up here, okay? 40% of people who are married say they had sex twi twice a week as opposed to 20% of those who are single or cohabitating. That's twice as much. Yeah, just in case you didn't know math, okay? All right, great. All right, uh, over 40% of women said their sex life was emotionally and physically satisfying. This is married women, as opposed to 30% of single women. Now, for the married men, 50% of married men are physically and emotionally content versus 38% of cohabitating men. So married sex is what they conclude. It beats all else. Married women had higher rates of usually or always, I'm not making this up, this is just part of the book, uh, always having orgasms, 75% as compared to the women who were never married, which is much less than that. Why? It's because sex is more than physical. It's deeply emotional, it's deeply personal, and God intended for it to be this whole life commitment with each other. There's a movement out there in our culture today that deeply wants to separate the body from the person. Hear, hear me on this. Who you are consciously and emotionally and personally, they want to separate that from just the physical aspect. It's almost like your body is a shell that you want to live in. And if that's the case, if you can separate the two, you can do whatever you want with the body. But God integrated us. He created us holistic, integrated beings that are one in our soul and our body for a reason. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise as a ghost. <laughs> he rose as a full embodied person. God loves the body. He made it very good. There's something deep about that. The hookup culture in our society, it thrives on this idea that the physical is just an appetite to be satisfied and it's separated from the person. Uh, one college student expresses it this way in the Rolling Stones magazine. Um, she said, people assume that there are two very distinct elements in a relationship, one emotional and one sexual. And they pretend like there are clean lines right in between them. Another one said, hookups are very scripted. You learn, check this out, you learn to turn everything off except your body and make yourself emotionally invulnerable. The rules of the game that most people are taught today is learn to shut off your emotions so that you do not get attached to the other person. And that's how you become liberated sexually. Here's the problem with that. It's not working. Studies are actually finding out that the emotional and the relational breakdown from the hookup culture is far deep and wide. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. I was reading the story of a, a woman who went to an Ivy League college. And uh, when she went, she, was, she kind of adopted this mindset that, that the broader culture has where uh, when you get to college, it's just a great opportunity for you to exercise your sexual liberties and experience yourself, self-actualize, all that. And so she came in thinking that this freedom to express sexually was, you know, a great gift. Put women in the driver's seat, you know, I can just be who I want to be. She arrives, and the sex culture at the college started having some pretty negative effects on her. 
they said that there was actually a sex week where they brought porn stars in to teach kids how to express themselves sexually and gave them all sorts of crazy tools. Uh, and what she found was that more and more and more she became an object to all the women on, or to the men on campus. And more and more and more, when she gave herself away, she just became accessible and the next available thing. And it got to the point where she had so lost so, so many of her guards that she just became a tool and eventually was drugged and raped. And afterwards, she said, I just don't even know what to believe anymore. I've lost it all. And she said, they teach you to wear protection. She says, wear protection, everyone says, as if that's all that matters. But condoms didn't protect my heart. And contraception didn't pay my therapy bills. Guys, we have to understand this. It's so important. Sex is not just physical. When Jesus said, it's not a matter of just watching your outside behavior here. Don't commit adultery. He says, when you don't look lustfully at a woman, when that's the issue, what he says is it's more than just physical. It's so much more than that. It's beautiful. It's deep. It's, it's what God in, intended for all of us. And the crazy thing is that uh, colleges now are actually finding that the most, two most prescribed drugs, and there's not a, this is not an accident, the two most prescribed drugs at a lot of colleges and state universities are not only um, birth control pills, but also antidepressants. It's because when you engage in the hookup culture and you, you come together and you break apart and you come together and you break apart, there's this disrepair that happens to us emotionally and physically. It's what happens. No, no joke. Uh, science actually is telling us that sex is more than just physical. Uh, there are two hormones that we emit as human beings in the act of sex. Um, this is true, okay? Oxytocin. Anyone familiar with oxytocin? It is the hormone that a lot of women give off in breastfeeding. And what it, 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 it's actually called the attachment hormone. When women uh, breastfeed and this hormone goes off, it actually helps them attach to the baby. But this is the same hormone that women give off when they're having sex. And it's a deep attachment hormone. It actually, our bodies itself are telling us that it's more than physical. There's a deep personal engagement in the act of sex. And men have an extremely similar hormone that they give off called vasopressin. And vasopressin is actually called the monogamous molecule. It's the same molecule that right after sex, it, it helps bond a man to his wife and actually to the child because God intended for there to be a deep unity in all parts of life. This is why Paul probably said in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Your bodies are telling you that it's more than physical. Your bodies are telling you that. It goes against our design, causes deep psychological pain. This is why Paul asks, do you not know that he who unites himself to a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Here's the whole thing. You can't just get naked with someone physically without getting naked with them in every other area of life. Do you understand that's why it's so painful for us to engage in the kind of sexual activity outside of marriage? That's why. That's why marriage is so beautiful. Because when you exchange those vows on your wedding day, it says, I'm not just in it for a moment. <laughs> I'm not just in it for me or what I can get out of you right now, or what's convenient for me, I'm all in. Every part of me is yours. Socially, economically, like till death do us part, you got me. 
And when God designed sex, he designed it to be that revitalization of that covenant over and over and over to that commitment to revitalize the sex and the sex to revitalize the commitment. That's what it's supposed to be. In fact, uh, the Hebrew, (laughs) when it says that Adam had sex with Eve at the very beginning in the first couple chapters of Genesis, the Hebrew word for sex is actually the Hebrew word for no. It said Adam knew Eve. It was this deeply personal thing where he understood her and there was this deep personal engagement. It was extremely emotional and it was whole life commitment. That's what was so beautiful about it. And it's supposed to be this picture of something far bigger. That's what sex is. It's this covenant picture between us. and I mean, like when we have sex inside the covenant of marriage, ultimately what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to point us back to the fact that God wants a personal covenant with us for all eternity. This is what Hebrews, uh, or Hosea 2, 19 through 20 says. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. This is God speaking to us. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you. It's this marriage imagery and language. Betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall, same Hebrew word, know the Lord. God wants a, an eternal, deeply committed personal relationship with you, exclusively with his bride. And that's the power that sex has, that when we express it within the covenant of marriage, it is deeply unifying, healing, and it ultimately points back to this joyful, joyful relationship that God wants with us. Now, my guess is that this message, even as I was praying about it this morning, my, my guess is that a lot of us in this room have been deeply hurt and wounded by sex in one way or another. And if you're in the room today and this is something that has wounded you or maybe you have wounded others in the past and I want you to know you're safe with us because <laughs> you're not alone. God has a fresh start and a clean heart for every one of us today that would trust in him. So hang in there. Hang in there as we continue to work through this. But I want you to know you're not alone. Do not, don't you ever leave today feeling dirty or guilty because here's the reality. We'll get to this more. But Jesus became dirty for you and me so that we could be holy and blameless before our Father in heaven. If there's someone who walked in today and you feel dirty because you're neck deep in this right now, I want you to know that Jesus has today a moment for you where you can engage in a clean, I mean, spotless heart and a fresh start, okay? All right, so what do we do? What, what happens when we actually go against this design of God? And here's, here's where we're actually going to spend some time today in a particularly dark area in our culture known as pornography, okay? Check this out. We're going to continue to go through this in Matthew chapter 5, uh, continuing in verse 29. What happens when we go against this design, Okay. Jesus continues and says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. (laughs) Jesus is intense, isn't he? You know, he's not this like lamb over your shoulders, sweet little Jesus guy. (laughs) Jesus is intense. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into nursery, you know, like, you know, maybe the dark part of town. No, he says hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What's he talking about? 
I was talking with one of the guys this week who said he was reading through Matthew and he came across this part and he's like, what? what? Like, he wants me to cut a body part off of me? Like, what's that all about? And I said, all right, Jesus isn't talking literally in this moment. Actually, some people in history were, uh, they did take this pretty seriously and they did cut off parts of their body. Not what I'm recommending today, okay? Nobody leave today. We don't have a knife in the back, nothing like that, okay? That's not what we're going for today. It's not that. What he's saying is that sin is serious, Sin is serious. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about hell and what happens with hell. The word and the language that, that Jesus, Jesus was the one who articulated the doctrine of hell more than anybody else. It was clear and straightforward. But what he said in hell, he used the, the words fire and darkness to often describe hell. And this is what happens with fire and darkness. What does fire do? Burns things up, right? Disintegrates them. When fire works, it disintegrates things. It just, it breaks it down. When darkness happens, what happens? When you're in the dark, you're isolated, right? You're far away. You can't see anything. You're not close to anything that you need to be close to. Hell isolates and it disintegrates. That's what it does. That's what it is. It is a, an eternal trajectory away from God in isolation and darkness. That's what hell is. And that is what happens to us when we start sinning against our own bodies and sinning against other people. When we engage in deep sexual sin it leads to disintegration of your personal self and isolation in relationships around you. Let me give you a window into the industry of pornography. Pornography has actually been labeled not by Christian or religious organizations, but by national um, sources as a public health issue because it is so destructive. The industry of porn is a $97 billion industry globally, 13 billion of which is in the United States. 3,000 is spent on porn every second, every second, which is mind-boggling given the fact that it's so free and available. 12% of all the internet content is pornographic. We're talking about this because Jesus is saying what you do with your eyes is important. Translates into what's happening in the heart. One in every five mobile searches are for pornography. 24% of smartphone, smart, smartphone, Smartphone, I can't even talk. All right. Mobile users uh, <laughs> say that they've actually downloaded it. It's on their phone right now. Thank you so much. All right. All right. It is a public health crisis. That's what they're saying. This is the Washington Post. It is not a Christian organization. It's a public health crisis. And this is some of the damage that it's causing, okay? 88% of the scenes in best-selling porn films include acts of physical violence. This is where it goes. Not only that, 70% of sex addicts say that they've been diagnosed with PTSD. I've never seen the movie, but you don't have to look any further than Fifty Shades of Grey to understand how violent all of this can be. Deeply dehumanizing. Wall Street Journal even admits countless studies connect porn with a new and negative attitude to intimate relationships, and neurological uh, imaging confirms this. Um, they actually, in Princeton University, they did an MRI scan of men who were looking at pornography, and what they learned is that it started shrinking the brain and actually treating, like men started even thinking about women more as objects than as human beings. That's what pornography does. It's deeply dehumanizing. It's deeply dehumanizing. Someone said that they could translate some of the words that we're reading today in Matthew 5 this way. Don't objectify women. Don't strip them of their identity as full persons by reducing them to objects of your sexual lust. Apologist Nancy Piercy writes in her great book, I highly recommend it, Love Thy Body. Um, 
She says, pornography is literally training a generation of young people to violate Jesus' proscription by engaging in depersonalized sex. And the mental habits taught by porn bleed into real relationships. It's ripping relationships apart. I said this to you guys a couple weeks ago, but I, I mean, I, I grew up with one of, um, was one of my best friends. I mean, for years and years and years and years and years, this guy and I were like tighter than glue. And what I didn't know is that he was hiding something underneath the surface in a porn addiction that was growing and growing and growing. And he was one of the best at hiding it. And after 15 years of hiding it, it finally started surfacing, but nobody knew about it because he went off the radar for two years, literally went to the other side of the country and nobody in my friends or my family heard of him for two years. The effects of this were so disintegrating for him personally and relationally that he literally cut himself off. The shame and the guilt and all of this, and I'm telling you, like, it was only after two years of complete breakdown that he finally opened up about this, and it was so heartbreaking that, I mean, I can't even tell you how many tears were spent over it. It's depersonalizing. The average age now that is viewing this is age nine. Parents, if you don't know this, you've got to know it. Age nine, we're talking second graders here. One college counselor talks about the effects that's happening in both men and women at the schools. And this is what she learned from one of the young women. Uh, she said that the young women who talk to me on campuses about the effect of pornography on their intimate lives speak of feeling that they can never measure up. That they can never ask for what they want. And that if they do not offer what porn offers, they cannot expect to hold a guy. These guys are expecting what they see on the screen. The young men talk about what it's like to grow up learning about sex from porn and how it's not helpful for them and trying to figure out how to be with a real woman. For the first time in human history, the image's power and allure have supplanted that of a real naked woman. Today, real naked women are just bad porn. That's what she says. Not only that, but men are actually like, I don't know if you've seen some of these commercials, but they're actually promoting pills for boys high school kids on how to get erections again because they can't hold it. They can't perform because pornography has so stripped them of even the ability to have sex with a real woman. This is how deeply dehumanizing and depersonalizing pornography is. And not only that, it's incredibly addictive. And just like every addictive, when, you know, addictive trigger, it, it hits you with dopamine when you, when you see it. Uh, what happens is when you get flooded with this dopamine, it actually starts rewiring the brain and the, the brain can get almost over flooded with all this stuff. And when it gets over flooded repeatedly over time, what it does is it ends up starting to shut down some of the dopamine. And, and what happens is that you, you end up not getting the same high that you, that you first had when you started looking at it. So you got to go after more and you got to get it after more and more and more harder core. And that's what leads to the violence and all this other kind of stuff. I'm telling you, it is dark. And it's disintegrating. But here's what you got to know. Scripture says, for those of us, and here's the reality, guys. The Christians in the world, and, and for us in this room, we've, we've got to understand this, okay? We're not immune to this. In fact, uh, based on a 2015 study, it says that 64% of Christian men view this at least monthly. That means six out of every ten guys in this room right now. 77% of millennial men, we got a young church, view porn at least monthly, 36% of them daily. That's a lot of us in this room. 
33% of women view it yearly, 15% at least once a month. This is so fascinating to me. We talked about Pharisees before. 91% of self-identified fundamentalists view it regularly. This is so highly addictive and so damaging. We've got to find a way out of this. And here's what I want you to know. For those of us who may be neck deep in all of this right now, I need you to know that there's hope, okay? Because this industry is not the final answer. This is not what Jesus has in mind for you. This is not the abundant life that he wants for you and for me. Jesus has something so much higher than that. And I'm telling you, he's got the opportunity for every one of us to have a clean heart and a fresh start today. Because when Jesus said, it's not just about physical stuff, it's about the heart issue. What Jesus said is, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world and to offer it hope. Why? Because Jesus literally took on the punishment that our sin deserved for us. He put himself on the cross. When he was perfect, the only one who was sinless, the only one who was spotless, he himself looked at the dirt that we were neck deep in and said, that's mine. I'll take that for you. Let me go pin myself on the cross because your separation from God was never good enough for me. I never wanted that. Let me be separated eternally for you. Jesus said the consequences for sin is literally hell and the sexual sin that we can get ourselves in brings us into our own sense of hell. But you know what Jesus did? He went to hell for us so that we would never have to be eternally separated from God ever again. This is what scripture promises us. You ready? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, this is what some of you were before you came to Christ. And maybe for some of us, even in our relationship with Christ, this is maybe where some of us are right now. But he said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. Faith in Jesus Christ, clean slate. When God looks at you, he sees his perfect son, Jesus. When you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him. In fact, in Ephesians 5.27, Paul goes on and said, this is what he did for you. He doesn't see you in your dirty laundry. He doesn't see you in your dirty past. He says that he died for you to present his church a radiant church without stain, without wrinkle, without any other blemish, but holy and blameless, clean heart, fresh start. This is what Jesus is all about. So what do we do with all this? Where do we go from here? Marriages, I want to give you a very practical thing, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is very clear. He says that sexual immorality, us fleeing from what God designed us to have and the the beauty that we have inside sex, sexual immorality outside of all that, like it is so rampant that we've got to fight it. Do you know what Paul says is the prescription for marriages on how to fight it? Have lots of sex. Okay? Here's your prescription married people this week. Go home and have a great time. I'm not lying, okay? Look, I came from a church that trained us and they had sex week. This was their challenge. They said for married couples, this is the sex challenge. This is what they they offered their people. They said for married couples, we want you to go home and we want you to have sex every single day for seven days straight. 
And we want, you to, we want you to experience what it's like to revitalize that covenant over and over and over. But man, if you, man, if you do that and you go home and you're like, well, Pastor Scott said you got to do it every day. Well, I, you know, like, look, what you got to know is that sex starts at breakfast, okay? Since it's not just physical and it's deeply emotional and personal, like it starts at breakfast, man. You got to woo your women from moment one, all right? You pop out of bed and you can't just demand it. You got to win her heart all day long because it is more than physical. It's deeply emotional and personal, all right? So that's your prescription, married people, all right? Go fight hard for each other. I'm telling you, when I see this room, you, this is what you have to know. I was praying for you guys all week when I was preparing this message because I understand how deep this war and this battle is. When I look in this room, I don't see women with a scarlet letter over their heart. I see radiant, spotless, blameless brides of Christ. That's who you are. And when I look in the men in this room, I don't see guys who are struggling as worms against the raging battle of pornography. That's not who I see. I see warriors, godly warriors who are standing up saying, not not today. Not today. I'm not going to let this battle win today because I stand with King Jesus who died for me and wants to break the bonds and the power of sin over my life. That's who I am. I'm a warrior. And I'm telling you right now, you can put up some of those resources for us, Grace. This is what I want to do. If you are stuck in this today, I don't want any one of us in this room to ever leave without knowing you've got some serious resources. And here's my promise to you as, as your pastor. Men in this room... If you are wrestling with pornography at all, I'm going to be your battle buddy, okay? Job, in chapter 31, he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Here's what I want to do. I want to stand with you guys, okay? If you're fighting in it, do not leave this place without sharing it with somebody, okay? Talk to me about it. I want to be your battle buddy and fight with this together. There's resources for us to be able to look at this together. We can get resources for your your computer and for your phone. We could battle this out together because you do not want to be stuck in isolation anymore. The shame needs to be broken. The regret and the isolation, it needs to be broken because if we're going to deal with this and you're going to find freedom, it has to be together. At the end of the day, guys, Jesus came not to condemn, not to pin you against a wall, not to leave you in a place where your sexual lust and adultery has left you in a place where you're feeling like hell every moment. But he's come so that you might have life. And that when we engage in sex in the marriage context, we understand the radiance and the glory and the beauty of this God who loves you more than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. God, this is a massive battle and a massive topic. There's some of us in this room today who've been so wounded. They've been asked to do things against their will they didn't want to do. They've regretted some of the things they've done in the past. They wish they could rewrite. Some marriages are struggling because they don't feel that spark anymore. It's not there. Some of us have maybe lost hope that we can even have a deep relationship with anybody. My hope and my prayer today, God, is that you would start rewriting that story right now. And that nobody would walk out today feeling hopeless or unwanted or ever getting the sense that the God of the universe has anything 
but deep and lasting marriage-like commitment love toward every one of us. May we be the kind of people who don't settle for anything less. May we be the kind of people who stand firm, fight for each other, fight for this world that's hurting right now. And may we treasure sex the way that you designed it, God, so that ultimately it would point back to the one who's gonna remake all of us new one day with the kind of hope that no one can take from us. We love you. We thank you for your design and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.